Chapter 2 Scott stared down at the desk in front of him, the grain of the wood drifting randomly in front of his eyes as he tried to make sense of it all. The police officer, D.I. Jason Dyer, pushed a cup of steaming tea towards him. Here, he gestured towards the mug. Drink this. Unthinking, Scott picked up the tea and lifted it to his lips. The tasteless grey liquid washed down his throat, his fingers numb to the heat of the cup in his hands. His whole body, even his mind, was numb to the truth. They hadn't let him see his father's body, tried to convince him that it would be too upsetting. But without any proof that this was real, Scott couldn't bring himself to feel what he should be feeling. He hadn't cried a single tear. He just felt empty inside. Maybe this was all just a stupid mistake. They'd got the wrong person. Any moment now, his dad was going to walk through that door. Had your dad been acting out of character recently? The detective's question jerked Scott back to the present. He stared at the cup in his hands as though it was the first time he had seen it. What? Had your dad been acting strangely? D.I. Dyer repeated the question. Maybe he'd been under pressure at work. Scott shook his head. No, he's been busy at work, but nothing out of the ordinary. As Scott sat there, the detective's question seemed to jar and loop in his brain. Had your dad. He was talking about him in the past tense. What happened? Scott's voice cracked for the first time. D.I. Dyer shook his head. It is really too early to say, but I'm afraid that one theory we're looking at is suicide. The prim social worker sitting beside Scott pulled a handkerchief out of her handbag and tried to press it into his hand, but he pushed it away angrily. It doesn't make any sense, he replied, struggling to keep his emotions under control. Dad was fine when I left. He was going to take some time off work soon. We were planning a trip. His words trailed to a mumble. He just wouldn't kill himself. As Jason was about to ask another question, the social worker flashed him a warning stare. Don't you think that's enough, Inspector? She closed her handbag with a snap. Can't you tell the boy's upset? But now that Scott had let the emotions in, more memories stirred, providing the answers to the questions the policeman had been asking. This can't be suicide. Scott's words rushed out in a sudden scramble. Six months ago, someone tried to kidnap me. They said they wanted to send a message to my father. They must have done this. They've murdered him. His last words came in a choking sob. Jason's mind word, a kidnapping. The file had said nothing about this. Wait a minute, did you report this? Scott nodded. We spoke to the police at the ministry where my dad works. They said it was all under control. He banged his fists down in frustration on the table. But it can't have been, not if this has happened. The social worker flashed Jason another warning stare. I really think that Scott needs to rest. The boy's just lost his father. Surely there'll be time for questions later. No, I want to speak. Scott's voice cracked again as he angrily wiped his hand beneath his eyes, trying to staunch the tears that lurked there. I want to help you find who killed my dad. Jason looked at Scott. The boy's shoulders shuddered as he fought to keep his grief from overwhelming him, but a look of fierce determination stared out from his bloodshot eyes. 
Then Jason's gaze shifted to the sour-faced social worker sitting next to Scott, a tight-lipped frown showing that she thought he'd pushed Scott too far. I know you do, Jason told Scott, and I want to make sense of everything too. But Mrs... He faltered as he tried to remember the social worker's name. Mrs Grant, she snapped. Jason smiled apologetically. Mrs Grant's right, he continued. There will be time to answer questions later. He reached into his pocket and pressed his card into Scott's palm. Give me a call tomorrow and we can discuss things then. It'll give you more time to remember. Scott looked down at the card. The Metropolitan Police logo sat next to the name Detective Inspector Jason Dyer, Westminster, CID, Prime Squad, and a mobile phone number. He closed his fingers around the card as Mrs Grant looked on disapprovingly. Thanks, our will. Scott sat alone in the darkness. He was curled up in the old armchair in the corner of his father's study. Downstairs, he could hear the social worker clattering about in the kitchen, clearing away the food that he hadn't touched. His mum's flight had been delayed out of Miami, and she wasn't due in until late tomorrow. He'd spoken to her briefly on a scratchy phone line across the Atlantic, desperately wishing she was here with him now. As the kitchen finally fell quiet, Scott heard the TV in the lounge being switched on, and the late evening news started to float up the stairs. And finally, an undertaker in Brighton received quite a shock today when the click of the living room door closing cut, closing cut off the newsreader's voice. Scott flicked on the lamp and getting out of the chair, looked around his father's study. When he was younger, he used to come in here while his dad was working, tapping away on his laptop surrounded by government papers. He'd noisily flick through the books on the shelves that lined the far wall until his father switched off his computer and turned to him with a smile to say, OK, I get the message. What shall we do now? Then the two of them would either head down to the park for a kickabout, go and catch a film, or just sit there and talk. His dad listening intently as Scott poured out stories about the latest events at school. Now his father's chair sat empty and behind the desk it was piled high with stacks of papers and folders. At the top of one pile, a black stone paperweight, a chunk of demolished motorway, a souvenir from his father's beloved Greening of the Roads project, held the papers in place. Underneath the paperweight, Scott noticed a slender rectangular package addressed to his father. The package was unopened. It must have arrived in the post that morning and been left there by the cleaner. Too late now to ever reach his dad. Scott was about to open it when he caught sight of the framed photograph next to it on the corner of his father's desk. The picture had been taken on his birthday earlier that year. His dad had arranged a party for Scott and his friends on the London Eye. In the photograph, his dad was standing with his arm around Scott, smiles beaming from both their faces as the lights of the city stretched out majestically behind them. Picking up the picture... Scott retreated to the safety of the old armchair. This was the last photograph he had of his dad. For the first time since he'd heard the news, something broke inside Scott as he realised he'd never see his father's face again. Without warning, tears welled in his eyes. He heard footsteps coming up the stairs and quickly dimmed the lamp, not wanting the social worker to see him like this. As he waited in the darkness, a sudden tiredness crept over him and as the footsteps retreated, he closed his eyes and surrendered to a fitful sleep. 
Scott's dreams were dark and hunted. His mind stumbled through the fog of sleep, searching for answers. He saw snatched glimpses of his father's face hidden in the shadows, but they were always faded out of sight. He awoke suddenly into an inky blackness. The faint moonlight from the open window slowly reminded him that he was still curled up in the armchair in his father's study. As his eyes adjusted to the darkness, Scott saw a beam of torchlight and the figure of a man hunched over his father's desk. The word escaped from Scott's lips before he had a chance to realise its impossibility. Dad? At the sound of Scott's voice, the figure turned and seeing Scott rising from the chair, let out an oath of surprise. As Scott stepped forward, confusion still crowding his half-asleep mind, the man launched himself at him with a growl of recognition. The torch in the intruder's hand struck Scott a glancing blow, sending him crashing into the bookshelves. He fell to the floor, books cascading down around him as the ringing pain in his head roused him into sudden waking. This was no dream. Scott scrambled to his feet, desperately searching for an escape route in the darkness. Half glimpsing a shape in front of him, he struck out blindly, but his hands only found the frame of a mirror, sweeping it from the wall in his confusion and sending it crashing to the floor where it shattered into countless pieces. Scott let out a desperate yell for help. Then the intruder was on him, fingers closing around his throat, choking Scott's cry into sudden silence. Scott staggered backwards, lurching into his father's desk as he struggled to free himself, papers scattering in the melee. The dark silhouette of a face in front of him snarled with satisfaction as long, powerful fingers tightened their grip on his windpipe. Scott could feel the blood pounding in his brain as he struggled in vain to break the death grip. The man was too strong. He was going to kill him. Scott's head was slammed backwards, cracking with sickening force against his father's desk. Once, twice, three times. He could feel a wetness seeping into his eyes, a dull red haze filling his vision. Blood. Then the hands wrapped themselves around his neck once more, squeezing with deadly intent. Scott could feel himself teetering on the edge of unconsciousness and knew that if he slipped, he wouldn't wake again. His fingers scrabbled desperately among the debris on his father's desk and his hand closed around the paperweight. The cool stone was strangely soothing in his grasp. The throttling grip around his throat narrowed and Scott felt himself falling forwards into the darkness of the abyss. He had to save himself. The fingers squeezed tighter. With sheer force of will, Scott brought his hand upwards, the paperweight still in his fingers, even as oblivion dragged him down. As he slipped towards unconsciousness, he felt the tremor of a distant impact. Moments later, the fingers around his throat loosened as the intruder staggered backwards and fell to the floor. Scott rubbed his neck, his lungs burning and his, as his breath came in ragged, juddering gasps. Alone in the darkness, he called out again for help, his voice a shredded whisper, but still nobody came. Picking himself up from the desk, Scott staggered to the door and reached for the light switch with shaking hands. As light flooded the room, he looked down in horror at the body lying on the floor, the bulky black bomber jacket and combats motionless amidst the chaos of scattered books and broken glass. Numbed, Scott skirted around the figure, 
almost clinging to the wall. He couldn't have killed him. He'd only been trying to protect himself. Then he saw the deadly shard of mirror jutting from the side of the man's head, a dark halo of blood pooling beneath it. As the man's face edged into view, Scott gasped in surprise. Staring back at him with cold, dead eyes, a thin line of blood trickling from his mouth, was the narrow, weasel-like face of a man he'd last seen six months ago. The man who tried to kidnap him. Scott turned away, suddenly retching as a wave of nausea caught hold of him. Choking back the bitter taste of bile, he slumped against the wall. This wasn't happening. This couldn't be real. He didn't know how long he sat there staring at the body, trapped in a waking nightmare. As the dull grey edges of dawn began to stain the sky, Scott remembered the words of the police officer, D.I. Dyer. Give me a call tomorrow and we can discuss things then. Picking out the card from his pocket with shaking fingers, Scott tapped the number into his mobile. The phone rang twice and then the bleary voice answered with a hacking cough. Dyer! It's me! Scott Williams! Scott stammered. He paused struggling to find words that could make sense of the madness. Someone just tried to kill me, 